Hi, and welcome to GCs in the House, a podcast spotlighting general counsels. I'm your host, Lena Guo. In my conversations with GCs, we discuss how they got in the top legal seat, obstacles that they had to overcome along the way, and how they are tackling new challenges. This is the first episode of the Women General Counsel series. Today, I am speaking to Margaret Chow, Chief Legal Officer at Couchbase, a public database platform company based in Santa Clara, California. Margaret graduated Yale Law School and started her legal career at Davis Polk in New York City. She then went in-house, ultimately taking two companies through successful IPOs. Margaret talks to me about loving the journey and what you do, controlling the controllable, the importance of mentorship, working mom life, and more. I hope that you enjoy the conversation. Let's get to it. Well, hi, Margaret. Thank you so much for joining me today. We've known each other for years now, but please tell listeners who you are about your current role and how you got there. Yeah, well, first off, thank you so much, Lena, for inviting me. I feel really honored to be your first guest here. And uh, full disclosure, I've never done a podcast, so I'm really <laughs> excited uh, to spend you know, some time with you and, and just chat and figure this out together. Uh, so I'm currently Chief Legal Officer at uh, Couchbase. And in my current role, I oversee the global legal function. And I also just finished a, a stint serving as the interim uh, Chief People Officer for Couchbase. Uh, I got here because Couchbase was private uh, at the time and looking for somebody with uh, IPO experience to head up their uh, legal team and had just finished almost six years at Medallia. Uh, it's another enterprise SaaS company. Um, and we went through the private to, to public journey there. Uh, I was a deputy GC there and was the, the lead for the legal aspects of the IPO journey. Um, and then just to take a step back, I started out my career, uh, legal career at Davis Polk. Um, I always knew I wanted to be in-house, uh, so I tried to get broad-based experience there doing exec comp, employee benefits, uh, IP, capital markets, um, you know, just, just to try to get that broad-based experience. And then from there, I went in-house uh, pretty much as soon as my debts were paid off. And um, <laughs> I've been at enterprise software SaaS uh, companies ever since. Uh, I love doing what I do. I, I have a lot of fun doing it. And maybe I'll just say a little bit about Couchbase so listeners have some background. Uh, Couchbase is a cloud database platform company. Its stated mission is to simplify how developers and architects uh, develop, deploy, and consume modern applications. And to break that down a bit, um, you know, if you think about it, all applications need to be architected on top of a database. And if you think about your daily life, if you've sent a package, searched for flights, if you've played a game on your phone, um, any of these other like daily life activities, you've probably come across an application built on Couchbase and not even known it. Um, our database platform can be managed by the customer or fully managed by us. Uh, and the latter is our database as a service or DBAS product uh, called Capella. Um, we're happy to call over 30% of the Fortune 100 our customers. And we've uh, been a public company since summer of 2021. Well, great. And so... You, you were in-house a while, and at what point did you know that you wanted to become a general counsel? 
Uh, great question. So let me rewind the clock even further. So actually, I started off uh, academically in uh, the biosciences in, in college. It wasn't just my major, but I actually worked in a lab and I had actually published some research. I, I love the sciences and the complexity and the rigor of it. It, it just sort of complemented the way my brain works and maybe came a little easier to me. Whereas like reading, writing, articulating a simple thought was like a real, real struggle. Like I'd cry in despair if I had to write a two page paper. You know, <laughs> so I was like, you know what? I can't continue to be this lopsided. I'd really like to be more well-rounded. So I just tried pushing myself to do things I was bad at. Um, I tried theater for a little bit and it was terrifying, but actually really fun. And I got to meet people that I otherwise wouldn't have. Um, and law school was, you know, one of those things that I, I didn't have those skills and I thought it pushed myself to try it and um, with the hope that it would round me out. It wasn't quite so much about career at that point as it was just trying to get the foundational skills that I thought were going to serve me well in, in whatever I might do next. Um, and then once I got into law, like I said before, I, I found that I really enjoyed being a generalist. Uh, surprisingly, it, it fit really well with the skills I had developed in the sciences, uh, which is pattern recognition and, and being able to grasp complex things really quickly. And I love the aspect of being able to work within a team and help people, whether that was your client or your teammate. Um, and I've always been about practicality, like how can I use my legal background to make a practical impact on the business rather than just the academics of law? So I've always try to seek out broadness and scope and exposure to different areas of the business business. And I, I guess those interests of, you know, broadness of scope, practicality of business impact, working within a team, uh, those things have just naturally led me down this GC path. Uh, but the moment I think of switching mentally in my head from, from generalist to GC specifically as a position, um, I would say that was very late in the game, probably not very long before I left my deputy GC role. I didn't have that burning desire at that time to like climb the ladder or be the top dog. I'd, I'd just been really focused on the here and now and doing 110% of, uh, of what's in front of me and just not thinking that far off in the future, um, despite all the good career advice out there. And part of that is, you know, when you're doing something you love and you truly enjoy, you're just really immersed in the here and now and not thinking about it like a stepping stone. But there was a point I realized that, hey, you know what? I think I actually have a lot to offer as far as having weathered so many experiences through my in-house roles uh, and being able to recognize the patterns of like what sets a company up for success, what doesn't. Um, you know, when you're at a high growth company, every year is like three years of experience packed into one. Um, so it just, you know, clicked at some point, like, hey, I, I think I have enough to add business value here beyond legal expertise. And, and yeah, I, I think I can do this. I'm not saying I'll be the best GC, but I could do it and bring something to the table. Yeah, absolutely. And you seem to have navigated the role really well thus far. It's not easy for senior level attorneys to land their first GC role. So what do you think was instrumental in helping you get your first GC position? Um, I think it was probably the experience, um, having gone through, like I said, so many experiences at the, uh, in an enterprise SaaS kind of, uh, industry, um, and, and being focused, not just on the legal, but also kind of the wider business. Uh, I think that that kind of experience has lent itself to being able to 
have a seat at the table and have something valuable to say beyond just your own function. Sure. And you've led two companies through successful IPOs now. Although the market hasn't been great and not many companies will be going public this year, what are some lessons you might have for another GC at a company with an eye towards an eventual IPO? Um, Yeah, good question. So I've got two analogies for um, IPOs. The first is, you know, and I, I talked about this a lot with the team at the time, imagine you're stuck on an island building a boat and trying to set sail in the big, beautiful ocean. You don't want to set sail in like a little dinky raft, right? It'll be fast. uh, And as long as the waters are calm, you'll be okay. But if the waters get choppy, you are done for. So, you know, you don't want that. You also don't want to set sail in a huge ship. Uh, You know, it's stable, but it'll take too long to build. You'll run out of resources before you ever finish it. So you want something that's appropriately sized that will launch you and that will stay the course even in turbulent waters. And and that's the pre-IPO public readiness journey. You know, you have limited resources, limited time, and you don't want to over-rotate, but you got to make sure it can survive choppy waters and turbulent markets. Um, And building that boat is one thing, but then choosing the right time to set sail is also crucial and can really determine your fate. Um, And that moment you do manage to set sail after so much hard work, uh, it's just such a wonderful moment you get to um, have with the team and and it's it's unforgettable. Um, And the other analogy I have is, uh, and I use this a bit more sparingly depending on the audience, but it's kind of like having a baby. Um, (laughs) You go through months of preparation and potentially years uh, and you choose your ecosystem of partners, like who you're married to in this IPO process and who you absolutely depend on. Uh, you have the baby, it's this joyous moment, but then your life changes and it's everything after that, right? And so you have to know that going into this. Uh, you're going to be raising a kid on the other side of this and life is not going to be the same. And and so it's not about the IPO, which is just the day, but it's about life um, as a public company with all the additional responsibilities that it brings. Um, and as far as specific learnings, you know, I think the top learning for me would be you have to choose a good team internally and externally. Uh, You've got to think about what are the critical new roles that are needed uh, and how existing roles have to evolve. Do you have the right talent in the right places? Uh, And externally, you need an excellent team of advisors. You you have to have the right teams in place uh, to go along this journey. Um, And you may lose some along the way, and, and that's okay. You know, sometimes people are much better suited to um, certain parts of the journey, uh, and that's that's totally okay too. Yes, that makes a lot of sense. In my line of work, the right talent is often the key to driving the business forward. So, what do you look for when identifying the right talent? So, what I tend to look for, and and keep in mind, like I've been at companies that experience rapid growth, rapid change. And so the type of talent you want to be able to identify has has got to be the type of talent that thrives in that environment, right? So people with a high IQ, EQ combination, high horsepower, um, you know, that growth mindset of, you know, taking challenges as as opportunities, you you try to identify and take that talent and you figure out what's going to help them to achieve their potential. Um, So, you know, how do you set up the right environment for them to really unleash their own good instincts um, and be successful. Those kind of people aren't always easy to find either, but you've been able to build a strong and diverse legal team. 
which leads to my next question. How has being an AAPI and or a female hindered you, if at all, in your career thus far? Has being a double minority impacted your career in any way? Yeah, let me start off by saying this. I'm really proud to be a first generation Asian American. I'm proud to be a mom. Um, you know, you and I talked about that a lot over the course of the years of, you know, yeah. just being new moms. Um, and I'm proud to have spent a lot of time on both, you know, West Coast, East Coast and having that kind of bi-coastal mentality. Um, I'm introverted and, and that's part of my identity too. So I feel like there's a lot of aspects that make up who I am and, and it can sometimes be hard to tease apart a specific part of your identity, like gender or race. So my answer is I'm not completely aware of the specific impact of being Asian or female. And frankly, I try to be unaware um, because, look, in my case, I've been lucky. I haven't come across like outright conscious bias or blatant sexism or racism. And, and that might not be the case for everyone. Um, so I'm lucky in that regard. But in my case, if someone's reacted to me a certain way, I don't know if it's because of some underlying bias and, and I can't control that. So I choose to focus on what I can control, which is how do I respond um, and how do I navigate any given situation? So here's an example, like early in my career, I got feedback that like, hey, you're doing an amazing job and, and really exceeding expectations, but you should really try to smile more. Right. And this is from like a really well-meaning person. And I was like, are you kidding me? I'm a negotiator. I'm in charge of closing these deals with, you know, Fortune 100 customers that don't even know what a SaaS agreement is. I'm, I'm walking down the hall, juggling like 300 things in my head and trying not to fumble it. I'm not a cheerleader. I'm not responsible for making you feel at ease with me. Um, but over the months and years that I sat with that feedback, I actually did learn something really useful, which is that you do need to take the time to be human uh, and to connect with people to say, hey, how are you? And, and you know, what did you do this weekend? Um, you know, like work can just be so much more meaningful and can I can be more effective um, by authentically connecting with others and investing in that human relationship, especially with those across the negotiation table. Do you have to smile to do that? And is it something that would get said to a male colleague? I don't know. Um, but to me, it just wasn't constructive to think about it like that. It was much more constructive to think about, okay, what value can I extract from the feedback and how can I be more effective as counsel, right? So all feedback can be useful feedback if you search out the useful pieces of it. Yes, I love that. I can't count the number of women, myself included, who have just been told to smile more. And kudos to you for having a positive mindset, which seems to have really allowed you to turn a comment like that into fostering introspection and growth. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and there's one other thing I've learned. It's, you know, sometimes I've, I've found myself being, you know, the only woman in the room or the only parent of young kids or the only whatever, right? And and it's just so important to have that diversity of um, perspectives and lived experiences in a room. And if you're the only of something, like, that's okay. Don't let yourself feel outnumbered. Be grounded, have conviction in your perspective and in your approach, recognize the value that your unique perspective brings um, and take the time to recognize others where they are bringing in a diversity of perspectives, even if that's not the type of diversity that's obvious to the naked eye. Um, and I feel very motivated by the thought that what I'm doing can impact the people that are not in the room, but looking on or aren't yet in the room, but one day will be. 
you know, it just makes me that much more motivated to make it better for them. So on the one hand, I try to be unaware and focus on what you can learn from feedback, what you can learn on, you know, what you can control. Um, and on the other hand, I'm also acutely aware um, and it's a source of motivation. When you are the only in the room, whether you're the only woman or minority, how do you grapple with that fact? Do you seek out allies or, as you mentioned, focus on what you can control? Yeah, and, and focusing on where you do have commonality, right? I, I think mm-hmm. you know, just you will find good people where you share a lot in common, much more than you have in differences even as far as lived experiences. Uh, and so I think focusing on on the commonality and focusing on the team rather than focusing on, you know, uh, feeling like you are the outsider. Great. And what advice do you have for female attorneys who want to become general counsels? Um, any thoughts on how we can get more women into the GCC? Uh, yeah, great question. So I would say... Uh, first is to expand your exposure. And I'm talking about within the various sub-functions of legal, but also within the broader business, like understand what other teams' priorities are, what challenges they face, how they tend to think and approach problems, leverage those opportunities to learn and get integrated with another side uh, of the business or of the function. Um, You know, for me, again, I just, I've always loved being a generalist and I find that that exposure is so important and has served me really well. Secondly, I would say pick the right community, mm-hmm. meaning company uh, that shares your values and really lives by the values that are important to you. Pick a community where you'll have teammates that challenge you in all the right ways, where you'll have mentors to learn from and where you're valued uh, for what you bring to the table. Um, I would also add, you know, know that there are multiple paths out there. There's so many backgrounds and styles and career paths that can lead to uh, the GC seat. So, you know, be you. Uh, and if it's what you truly want to do, you will find your own path there. Like I, I know GCs that have gotten there by, you know, being experts in employment or privacy or corporate or, or commercial, like you can get there through so many paths. Um, and then lastly, I would just say, love the journey and and have fun. If you don't love the journey, then then why are you doing it, right? It's mm-hmm. uh, it, it shouldn't be sort of the um, the end all be all goal, uh, you know. So don't don't get used to seeing it as some sort of career destination, but just sort of you know another thing along along the journey. Really well said, Margaret. There are definitely multiple paths to the GCC. Many GCs have a corporate background, like yourself, and how. Um, but there are plenty of GCs who didn't start out that way. I really like that you said to love the journey. Um, The GC role is not for everyone. Not everybody wants that responsibility. And it sounds like you were able to quickly get to where you are because you were so passionate about your work. So part of your advice was to expand your, your exposure and you have briefly taken on the HR function at Couchbase. Can you tell us about that experience? Because HR is not something that every GC has the opportunity to oversee. Um, yeah, so uh, it was funny because, you know, I, I when I was first asked to take it on, you know, obviously I was very honored um, to be entrusted with with that. But I was also really frightened, to be honest. Like I, I was like, I do not have experience doing this, and 
I just hope that I don't fail. Like I didn't want to let people down. I didn't want to let the company down. I didn't want to screw things up. Um, Mm -hmm. And I think the first thing I did was just call my network, you know, great CPOs that that, uh, I've worked with before um, and kind of have like a a board of directors almost of, hey, give me your advice. Like, tell me, uh, you know, tell me what I need to know about, about, you know, leading a people function. Um, and so one was just, you know, reaching out to, to trusted people that, you know, that have done it, um, mm-hmm. seeking advice. But then, but then it, it, what I realized was leadership principles are largely the same, whether it's the people team or legal team or some other team. Now, the substance is different and the mindset sometimes has to be different, uh, you know, for, for obvious reasons. But generally speaking, leadership principles are very similar uh, across functions. Um, you've got to encourage and, and really foster, uh, you know, the talent and the leaders under you. Um, you've got to enable them to understand, uh, you know, what the business priorities are and, and how their work directly ties to that. Uh, so I think I learned a lot um, through that experience. And it was just it was so wonderful to be exposed and really be able to dig in uh, on another side of the business and, and learn um there's just so much that goes on, you know, uh, underneath the surface that that you wouldn't otherwise get to see as uh, a partner. Like, you know, even uh, as being as part of the legal team, you still work with uh, the people team quite closely, but you just never get to that level um, uh, of, of deep understanding uh, the way I was uh, fortunate enough to be able to, to see during that period. So it was a really valuable experience. Um, and now we've since hired a, a chief people officer who, who's going to be fantastic and do a, a much better job than me, but I was very fortunate <laughs> to have that role in the interim. Well, congratulations on getting that load off your shoulders and and kind of focusing back, uh, focusing um, on your CLO role once more. And so going back to the leadership, uh, leadership principles piece, so tech has had to weather a lot of change in recent times. First, it was the COVID pandemic, then macroeconomics, and then instability in banking that's having reverberating impact. What have you learned about leadership through these events? And what is your leadership style? Uh, Yeah, so I'll address change generally, and then, you know, maybe leadership in the face of uh, change or, or challenges. So yeah, there's been a lot of general turbulence in the economy and uh, the leadership team here at Couchbase, we often talk about, you know, staying the course and focusing on what we can control. Um, And we often like to remind people that uh, change and challenges aren't new to us. Uh, We like to say we're quite battle tested in this regard. Uh, And in fact, challenge and change can create opportunity, kind of like how we were talking about feedback. All feedback can be good feedback if you want it to be. It's, It's the same concept, challenge, change, the opportunity is there. You just have to look for the opportunity in it. Uh, with respect to leadership, um, and I say this, you know, after having led the people function for an interim time, uh, leadership principles are surprisingly similar across functions, uh, like we were saying before. You know, you need to lead from a, a principal position that guides your decision making. Um, and that's especially important when you face these big unexpected things. Uh, that you mentioned, Lena, you, you need to set the North Star to make it clear to others how they should navigate. Um, and oftentimes it's deeply tied to values. So, for example, during the pandemic, it was follow the law, you know, safety first. Uh, and we're going to act in accordance with our values and expect that our employees do the same. And and those things set the basis 
for every decision. Uh, that's why we were one of the first to send people home even before there was a formal shelter in place. Another example uh, is I start off my team meetings dedicating a substantial amount of time just having people talk about where they've seen somebody demonstrate our team values and what they learned from that. And, and the purpose is to deeply instill the type of principles, mindset, and behaviors uh, that will guide the team in whatever situation they may come to face. You know, they, they just know that North Star instinctively. Um, and one other thing I'll say is it, it's really less about me and my style. It's, it's more about the individuals you're leading and what it takes to unlock their potential, right? It's fostering the kind of talent that thrives in an environment of uh, rapid change and challenge and growth. Um, like identifying people with that high IQ, EQ combo, high horsepower, and fostering their good instincts, um, getting them exposure to different parts of the business so they can understand the bigger picture and company priorities and use that input to give better, more holistic business and strategic counsel so they can navigate on their own. That, I feel like, has proven to be more important in the kind of companies I work at, which, again, tend to experience rapid change and growth and, and tend to be leaner on resources. So you have to be creative, nimble and efficient uh, in your approach. And I think that's served us really well um, in the face of pandemic and macroeconomics and, and other things you're describing. Definitely sounds like it. And in order to be an effective leader, you certainly need to have a high level of IQ and really great management skills where did you where did you learn yours um i i'd imagine that for someone who really is is trying to to learn their management chops uh, it's it's you know easier said than done how how were you able to cultivate your leadership skills um i think i think it just come from a service mindset and so, it, again, it's one of those things that, like, for better or worse, I'm not quite aware of my style and, like, my management. It's more about, like, it, you have to be in service of the person, right, that you're leading. Where are they strong? Where do they need help? Um, where are they on their journey? And, and how can you help them and unlock their potential? Uh, and so I may have a different approach with different people, just depending on the nature of their work, what they're trying to do, where they are. Um, and... And so I think if you're led by that mindset um, of how do you best serve this person that you're leading or this stakeholder that you're you know, doing something for, um, I think that's what has, for me, kind of just naturally lent itself to this management path. And the other important side of it is being in service to the company, being able to understand the business at large. What are the headwinds and tailwinds? Uh, what other teams are focused on in the short and long term and why? Um, what pressures they're facing? How is that translating in the day to day? Right. And then thinking about how is your team going to best serve these short and long term business priorities um, and support cross functional stakeholders and what they're facing. So so, again, it is about that service oriented mindset, um, you know, both to the company and to the individual uh, individuals that you're you're working with. Um, we're here to be a competitive advantage for the business. And you just simply can't be successful as a, a GC or a legal function if you don't think like an owner of the business or have the good relationships with the other execs and teams that you're supporting or or the credibility uh, within the business uh, that you understand and, and have their best interests in mind. 
Um, so the way I see it, you know, part of your your job as a leader, as a GC, is to establish those relationships, that credibility, um, is to deeply understand uh, uh, the company priorities and and the business trajectory, and and be able to steer the ship um, in a way that brings value for the business. Great answer. Um, and to to sh- to shift gears a little bit, has any one person been particularly helpful to you in in your career, or was a really you thought was a really great leader? Yeah, there have been so many people. Um, definitely a lot. And uh, let's see, a couple come to mind immediately. Um, mm-hmm. So Jack Hirsch, he was my first boss when I worked in the lab um, all the way back when, and he probably indirectly changed the trajectory of my life, to be honest. Um, wow. Up until then, I'd never had someone believe in me and push me so outside my comfort zone the way he did. Uh, like there was a time where he wanted me to apply for this award. And I was like, oh, no, it's it's too much work. There's so many other great candidates. And, you know, you got to be grilled by a whole panel of interviews. And I just I don't care to go through all that. Um, and eventually, after trying to get me to do a few times, he was like, OK, well, if you're not even going to apply, then, you know what, don't bother coming to work next week. And he was dead serious. He was about to fire me. And this guy does not joke around. Wow. Um, he thought I was just throwing away my potential. Um, so I finally, you know, I did it and, and I really thank him for setting me straight and believing in me the way I did, uh, the way he did rather. And, and that award gave me, you know, not only just the confidence and just, you know, the realization that I need to believe in myself and invest in myself, but it actually just gave me the financial means to, to move myself, uh, to the East coast. Um, and that, you know, that was life-changing. I, I met my husband there and, uh, you know, everything changed after that. Um, Alain Grebenet is another mentor. I just would not be where I am without having had the opportunity to just be in his orbit uh, and be able to watch what he does, pick his brain on things. I have learned so much from him. Um, And when people like that place their bets on you and invest in you, it certainly makes uh, a big difference. Uh, I'm lucky to have had a lot of great mentors, uh, Matt Cain, CEO, uh, Couchbase as well. Um, And what what I try to remember is you know, it, it, mentorship isn't an entitlement. It's an investment of someone else's time. So think about what you can do uh, to make somebody want to place their bets on you and want to make it and make it worthwhile to invest in you. You know, so don't take it for granted. Certainly, um, I'm very thankful for for all these mentors. Um, last but certainly not least, as as far as what's been helpful to my career, I also have to just give a big shout out to my amazing husband uh, and the grandparents of my kids. You know, as the saying goes, it, it takes a village. It, it really, really does. Uh, and so I appreciate, you know, the days when he sees I'm crushed at work and he's like, you know, what can what can I be doing more uh, more of so so you can go and focus on that. Um, so for sure, I wouldn't be far without that village behind me. And, you know, though I'm very lucky that I love what I do. It, it's a passion, but it's it's by no means a hobby, right? It's it's the means by which I provide for my family and secure their future, secure their financial well-being. So having him and having that village share so much as they do um, in raising my kids allows me to go uh, and do that for them. Uh, one of our company values uh, at Couchbase that's always really resonated with me is uh, serve your family as defined by you. And I think it speaks very well to this. Okay, I have so many questions. First, it sounds like you had some terrific mentors who neither looked like you nor had the same background. Did you actively seek them out? 
Yeah. So, so this is the thing about mentorship and what people think of when they think about mentorship. It's not necessarily somebody like sitting you down and advising you, although, you know, that is the case if you're asking for advice, but it's also just observing somebody, how they respond to challenges, uh, you know, and trying to learn what you can learn just by being in the room with them and, and watching them. Um, and, and I have been very intentional about choosing, uh, like I said, the community that you're joining, right? The, the team, the company, and that includes um, kind of your your mentors uh, that would be there. Uh, I think you have to make a very conscious decision to choose the team, choose the mentor, choose the, the company um, that shares your values and uh, where you feel like you will get that kind of experience. It sounds like being very intentional in some of these decisions has served you well. I'm really glad to hear that you have a wonderful village and supportive spouse. Uh, not everybody has that. Do you have any advice for female attorneys with an eye towards starting a family and how they can juggle raising a family while furthering their own careers? For me, choosing the right partner was so important. Um, I didn't, you know, I didn't do it with the thought of family. Like, you know, my husband and I were, I was, I think I was 22, you know, I was certainly not thinking about um, family or, or anything like that at the time. Uh, mm-hmm. But I think, you know, you, you're in it together with uh, not only your partner, but again, just the other people in your community that, that have a shared interest um, in your kids, whether that's relatives or teachers or, you know, daycare um, uh, teachers. And Realizing it's it's not your sole responsibility. You've got to create the environment where there are other people that are sharing um, that interest in that environment. And you know, sometimes, quite frankly, there isn't a lot of balance. Um, somebody else looking in at my life would be like, "Oh wow, that's you know, you're a workaholic." There's not a lot of balance. But for me, <laughs> the balance doesn't come all at once. Um, it will come over the course of many years. Like I was able to take time off between um, Adala and Couchbase and, you know, spend a lot of dedicated family time and travel. Um, and when I'm working, I'm totally focused on working. Uh, and so, yeah, there isn't a lot of balance to be had then. But, uh, you know, it, it comes over the course of many years and you just got to strike that balance that works for you. One more thing I'll say, which I hope helps someone out there listening who has or wants a family, but is like worried about how it'll impact their career. I think so much of the pressure comes from the expectations that are put on you specifically as a mom. Um, and for me, like the way I cope with it is I just have simply rejected that. I, I don't compare myself to impossible standards. I often joke that if you compared me to like all the moms in the world, I'd probably rank, you know, 40, 50th percentile. <laughs> Um, if you compare me to all the dads in the world, I bet I'd be like a 80, 90th percentile dad, right? So, you know what, if, if someone would look at my behavior and say, that's a fantastic dad, then I passed the bar for myself of being a good parent. And that's really the goal for me is good parent, not number one mom. I totally agree with what you said about striking the balance that works for you. As a full-time working parent of young children, maybe that maybe what we think of as the traditional work-life balance, so to speak, doesn't really exist. It sounds like balance, at least for you, is what you prioritize during any given season or situation. Um, 
And just to shift gears a little bit, as if you weren't busy enough already, you're also a board member and officer of Angiro Initiative. Can you tell us about the organization and how you became involved? Yeah, uh, so this is a 501c3 nonprofit, uh, and Angiro is a farming community in eastern Madagascar, which uh, is home to six schools. We raise funds to provide scholarship to kids who wouldn't otherwise be able to afford an education. Uh, we've supported over 600 or so, I want to say, secondary school students. Um, I think it's it's actually been even more than that. Uh, and it's uh, also university level students. And it's been operating since 2014 in some fashion and a 501c3 since 2019. Um, so it's been around for, for a while. And we've recently even helped with uh, the construction of a new classroom and, and helped uh, the school get new printers and other materials. Um, last year, I think 60% of our scholarship went to girls. Uh, education is a very important cause for me, um, education for girls even more so. Uh, and the way I got involved was uh, Cliff, the founder, he is a dear long-term friend of mine and had asked me to join his board. Uh, and I've been very honored to serve uh, as part of his organization and, and see the tangible impact it's had on um, so many lives. He he's really literally changed so many lives with just like his passion and his love for the people uh, in Angiro. It's it's so inspiring and um it's been uh really fun to work alongside him on this. Sounds incredible. It what what advice do you have for someone who might be interested in getting on on the board of an organization? Yeah, uh, similar to, you know, what I said about GC, you know, I think you have to inspect why do you want that, right? Mm -hmm. Like you want to serve on a board just for the sake of serving the board or is there some other purpose? Uh, like in this case, you know, it was more about, um, you know, supporting my friend and and sharing in, in his uh, passion for for helping others. Uh, and, and that happened to be in the form of a board. Um, I, I haven't served on other boards. I'm not sure if I would have great advice um, on how to get on other boards, especially as lawyers. I don't think lawyers often um, get asked to serve on boards. But if you're, what you're looking for from a board seat is to be able to advise and make an impact, I would say there are lots of ways to be able to do that, uh, whether it's through a board seat or a general counsel seat or through some other means. Thank you. And what do you do to, to decompress at the end of the day? I definitely have a lot of insomnia where like I'll be awake at 2 a.m., 4 a.m. And, and need to decompress from a long day. I feel like that just comes with the territory. Um, so I tend to go for things that are low investment, uh, but still mentally stimulating in a way. So, for example, I love watching stand-up comedy. It's fun. It's not like a series. You have to watch so many episodes over so many years. Um, and, and the other thing about comedy is there's just so much diversity in it these days, uh, like more diversity of lived experiences that get showcased, which is just so refreshing to see. Um, and then let's see the other things as far as decompressing. I think this goes uh, a little bit to my earlier point that I kind of find balance not so much in the day-to-day, -day, but maybe more so over the course of months or years. Um, so when I do get the opportunity, I love traveling. Um, I'm excited that we've been able to get back to it after so many years during the pandemic of being stuck at home. 
Um, so, you know, whether it's camping close by or, you know, going somewhere further where the language is different and the air smells different, I just love being able to take myself and my family to, you know, just a different setting where you can really switch mental gears. Um, but I'll, I'll tell you if it's not already obvious, I'm not good at relaxing. Uh, if you took me to the beach, I'll be happy for like 20 minutes and then I'm done. Um, I'd, I'd much rather go and, you know, have an adventure or explore something new. Uh, a good friend of mine once joked, and this was before I had kids, that it, it isn't a vacation for Margaret unless her life is in danger. Uh, <laughs> and it, I think there's probably a little bit of truth in that. Sounds like a very, very typical general counsel like <laughs> mindset. It's hard to, it's, it's hard, really to, turn hard to turn that off. Yeah, yeah. no, like absolutely. In my head and I can switch the channels, but I can't turn it off. I can imagine, especially when you have to juggle a million things in your head. So final question, if you weren't a lawyer, what would you be doing? Um, yeah, I, you know, like I said in the beginning, I love what I do. I really do. Um, I love the team that I get to work with. Um, I love, you know, the company I'm at and the problems we're trying to solve. It's, it's hard to imagine doing something else, but for sure it would involve being part of a team, working alongside people that, uh, share a similar set of values and doing something meaningful together. Um, maybe you'd be doing something to get more involved in the community. Uh, so, you know, I think there are certain aspects that I know would be there, but um, yeah, I, I love what I do. That is so nice to hear. Sometimes there's the stereotype that lawyers are all miserable, but you clearly love the profession and find fulfillment in being a CLO. Well, Margaret, this has been such a great conversation. Thank you so much for the chat and for sharing your insights and experience with us. Thanks so much for listening to GC's in the House. I hope you enjoyed this episode and will join me next time for an in-depth discussion with another general counsel. I welcome your feedback and recommendations for guests. You can reach me at lguo at mlaglobal.com. Please also reach out if you have any questions or comments about today's episode. Until next time.